I just have a bad habit of leaning into having a woman be comforting and distracting and, and whatnot. Hello, my name is Kay Anderson, and you are listening to Lost Spaces, the podcast that mourns the death of queer nightlife. Every episode, I talk to a different person about a venue from their past, the memories that they created whilst they were there, and the people that they used to know. So, In all of the time that I have been doing this show, I have not once referenced the Joni Mitchell song, Big Yellow Taxi. But I think today is the day, and if you will indulge me, I'd like to recite the main refrain from the song. Here goes. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Hmm. So true, Joni, so true. And that is especially true for today's guest, the comedian Ariel Isaac Norman, who really only went to her lost space, Bout Time 2, in Austin, Texas, a handful of times in her life, but was really kind of bummed out when she found out that the bar was closing at the start of the pandemic in 2020. We start out by talking about why Ariel had moved to Austin in 2015, and then we go into brainstorming drag king names, finding out what it's like to be a serial relationship hopper, and I even get some advice in how to initiate a threesome whilst on the dance floor, and there are some good tips in here, so I think you're going to be interested. Shall we get into it? to a woman and I I very immediately was like ooh this was the wrong move and and left her because I really was in love with a friend of mine and we'd been friends for nine and a half years and had this history and we we wanted to be together and so we picked Austin as a place that we could both agree on she was a farmer and I as a comedian we needed somewhere that worked for both of us and Austin had a really nice comedy scene and it's just a cool city you know it's a city that I had had enjoyed visiting and um, was excited to live in okay so am I able to ask follow-up questions about the marriage sure Is that okay okay cool so h- how long had you been married before you were like oh actually no I mean I really even knew before <laughs> the wedding it, ah. like I had lots and lots of reservations but it's like you know, she proposes when you're in Belize on the first night of your trip in Belize. And then you're like, ah, she promised she wasn't going to propose here. And how here it is on the first night. And yeah, you just kind of like, oh, God, yes. And you think, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll end this once we get back. And then and then, you know, you don't want to. You know, it's just like so non-confrontational. And then all of a sudden you're ordering the custom wedding koozies and it's just one thing after another. And then it's like, but at the time, gay marriage wasn't the law of the land across the U.S., but we lived in Massachusetts. So it was like we got married in Massachusetts legally about a month before our actual wedding in Florida. And so it was kind of like, well, 
yeah, maybe if I was in front of my friends and family and whatever, there could have been a moment when I was like, oh, God, I can't do this. But when you're just signing it for the justice of the peace, like, yeah. you know, so it's just like one thing after another just kind of kept me going on this train. And then once I was at the wedding, it was just like a week long thing where we had this four story beach house um, with a guest beach house. We had all these people oh, there oh, for a long just time. A, right? Just a four story building, just a week long thing. Is it? <laughs> yeah. So, so it was like a Saturday to a Saturday and Sunday was the wedding. And so it was like, you know, just my head was in such a weird place. But by Monday, things were starting to really, really crack because my my friend came to my wedding, the one that I would later move to Austin to be with. And so things were like kind of getting real between us just in terms of at first little touches, little talks, little whatever, you know, nothing Mm -hmm. like completely you know, we weren't like addressing it. We just, it was unspoken for a couple of days. So it was, it was the Thursday after the wedding that all of the rest of our friends and family had gone home at this point. And it was just the two of us when, you know, we had like 48 more hours at this beach house together. And that's when I told her that um, something was really wrong. And so then it was like a whole month and a half of, me going to individual therapy, us going to couples therapy, like seeing, our, mm-hmm. you know, are we really divorcing? Are we re- whatever? But yeah, so uh, it was very quickly. Wow. How did she respond? <laughs> she, uh, she was devastated. She was angry. She was, um, at first, she tried to kick me out and tell me I was going to need to figure out a bus or something back to Boston myself. Um, instead of driving with her, she cried. She she left me in the beach house and went to the beach. And I think she talked to someone on the phone herself for a while or just cried out there while I was talking to my mom and my sister on the phone. And, you know, and it was just like it was just a very emotional, hard, difficult thing. And then, you know, I remember then after a while of that, she came back in and like hugged me and cried and, and told me not to leave. And it was just like this emotional roller coaster for the 48 hours of the beach house, for the 24-hour drive back from Florida to Boston, for the next month and a half of therapy and will we, won't we. It was uh, it's very intense, and I, I wish I could say that we somehow managed to salvage our friendship, but we have not talked since, mm. like, New Year's of that year. And so where was your head at? So, like, obviously after you told her, you were then like, yes, I'll go to therapy, couples therapy, individual therapy. But had you, like, more or less made up your mind by then? I think I had more or less made up my mind, but it was very scary. I was leaving a millionaire for a farmer, Mm -hmm. and I was a comedian, you know, like... I basically I've made nothing but wrong decisions in my whole life. And like, so, you know, I was having to take a leap of faith that I was going to be okay. I mean, so much of the appeal of being with her in the first place was like, I didn't really know how I was going to take care of my life, like to be able to have a good life. And she provided security. And so I was leaving behind all the security and, and luxury and that was a very scary thing, and I just didn't know what I was going to do. I I didn't have a job. You know, I had mm-hmm. to figure out where I was going to live, what I was going to do. So I was just kind of like in this place of like, am I really doing this? What am I really doing? 
you know. So my therapist was very helpful in helping me think those things through. But the couples therapy was awkward because the couples therapist was like, I can't tell whether we're really trying to save this marriage or not. Ah, yeah, that does sound awkward. Mm-hmm. But so then after a while, you were like, this is my plan. I'm going to move to Austin and I'm going to try it with this other person. Right. What What do you remember most about those first days in Austin? Uh, I mean, first of all, I was so happy and in love with my friend and everything. Um, so every the world was glowing and I was just walking around Austin neighborhoods that were so beautiful. I remember just having really nice weather and you know, interviewing for a job at a paleo butter coffee shop. And it was just... Paleo it, it, butter it had a, co- Is that, is that the bullet <laughs> yeah, thing? What is yeah. that? Yes, okay. coconut oil, the MCT oil and the butter. And so I just, you know, had a really good vibe toward the city. I was excited. I was really excited about it. And it felt right. And I felt excited about the little comedy scene. that Because I, I, I got to Austin before my friend, girlfriend, whatever, uh, came by about a month. And so I was just there alone and like doing comedy every night. So it was, it was so fun to be doing comedy. The first night I was there, I went to an open mic and I got booked by someone at the open mic to headline a show to my first headlining gig where I was going to do a half an hour just off of this one open mic. So it felt really cool. I was like, okay, I can do this. This is going to be really fun. Oh, so you weren't like, I'm just going to wallow in self-pity for a while. No, I was very happy that, I mean, I broke up with her, you know, so. Yeah, but it's still a big change. Yeah, yeah, but it had been a month and a half of me processing that, and I was so excited about being with Katie. I was so excited about this new city. I really like change. I really like moving, and I was just thrilled to be like, cool, I'm poor um i'm gonna do comedy i'm gonna make new friends like it was yeah i was thrilled Mm -hmm. so what was the plan when she showed up like were you gonna live together were you gonna see how things went or yeah we went back and forth about that for a bit but then ultimately we were just like well let's just live together because it's so funny to think of Austin as expensive then because it's becomes incredibly more expensive in the meantime. But still it was like, we were both just like, well, we're poor and we know we want to be together. Let's, let's just live together. It'll be fine. And I don't really think that that was a mistake because I think what happened between it, because we eventually got married and then divorced too. But I don't think any of that really mattered what it was going to happen that way, no matter what. Because mm-hmm. it just turned out we didn't really want the same life. So after she arrived, what was that like then when you'd moved in together and it was, oh, I was going to say weighted bliss, but that's not the term I'm looking for. Well, it was for a while. You know, we really loved each other. We were having a great time. It, it was really nice. It was really nice for a long time. We got to, you know, be young and in love and poor farmer and comedian together and... um we went church shopping. We found a gay Christian church that we went to together for a while. Um, you know, it was it was just mm. fun and nice. And so, yeah, so one that making friends in a new place can be difficult and it can be complicated when you have a partner because people are maybe less 
maybe, well, maybe it's a combination of you being kind of less outgoing and up for things and people being a bit more sus not suspicious. Uh, I think you know what I'm trying to say here, right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. And so, like, what did you do to make friends? Well, I did comedy. That's the thing. It's like I was going out every night or almost every night doing at least one, if not two or three open mics a night. And so, you know, I'm hanging out with lots of people. And so it's just it's just natural. Like you just kind of walk into a community and start making friends with all those people. And, and then we made a couple of friends at church as well. Um, together. So that was nice. But I mean, it is a thing like I, I've been relationship hopping for the last 10 years from my first ex-wife to my second ex-wife to even after that relationship. Those are the only two times I've been married, but I've been single for very little time after that. Like I got pretty quickly after that separation into another relationship that lasted a few months. And then right after that relationship, like a very immediately swapped out for the next relationship that I was in for three and a half years. And then that ended this spring and I immediately started dating this woman. And I meant to be, I mean, cause I'm polyamorous. So I meant to be like, okay, now I'm going to be solo poly. And then I met this woman and I like fell in love with her the night I met her. And then it like kind of that went out the window. So we've been doing this thing where we're not technically in a relationship, but we're very much being like that for the last few months. And I just, I just have been, you know, had to like have a come to Jesus moment with myself of like, I need to actually not be in that kind of relationship. Like, I think I can have girlfriends, but I can't have a the girlfriend right now. Like, I'm, I'm really supposed to be married to comedy. I'm really supposed to be. And, and like, part of that is like, yeah, I need to be available to hang. I need to be able mm. to prioritize whatever is going to be most useful to me in making the friendships and connections and whatnot that I can. And when I have a girlfriend or a wife or a partner or whatever, it's just so easy for me to prioritize them above everything else. Like last night, if I were still with the farmer, I would have gone home immediately mm -hmm. to her. You mm -hmm. know, if I were still with my last long-term ex-girlfriend, it would have been like, oh, I just want to get back to her. If I hadn't had this readjustment talk with the newer woman because it's long distance, I would have been like, oh, I can't wait to be just talking to her on the way home and then FaceTime her and go to sleep. Mm. And so I need to be solo in that way, I think, for a while, if not forever, I don't know, because it's just like, so last night I actually went out and talked and strengthened connections and things. And... I just have a bad habit of leaning into having a woman be comforting and distracting and, and whatnot. Um, mm. but, but on the other hand, it does provide that, oh, I don't want to say comfort. I'm, I'm terrible with the English language today. That kind of respite and that knowing that someone is in your corner. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's true. That has been nice and comforting. And so maybe I shouldn't beat myself up so much. Maybe I've gotten a lot of good things out of it. You know, I don't know. I, I think I haven't historically just been able to find the balance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think like even now, like I've been having some self-doubt again about my most recent decision to tell this woman I needed to take a step back in our relationship dynamic because I'm like, well, maybe it's not that I even needed to do that. Maybe I just needed to be much more honest and have, you know, really tell her, hey, like, 
I need to prioritize X, Y, and Z. I really need to go spend some time with this person. I really need to not mm. be coming home so early. Like maybe I could have just established clearer needs and boundaries and not let myself just be like, oh, I want to go home now, you know. Um, it's really tough, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because mm. even knowing what you want yourself is hard. It's. I have struggled with this <laughs> forever. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm one of those people who's very much like, oh, you want to do that? Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's fine. That sounds good to me. And then mm -hmm. I never, ever stop to question like, oh, hang on, what do I want? Because I just go along right. with whatever anyone else wants. And then I get to a point where I'm like, no, no, this has gone too far. <laughs> and then I nuke everything. Right, yeah. that people-pleasing codependency <laughs> stuff. Exactly. And that's, I think, what I did with this most recent woman and just want to keep her happy, want to keep her happy. And then all of a sudden I realize, ah, oh, crap, I haven't been taking care of the stuff that I really need and care about. Mm -hmm. But what are the things that you really care and need about? I mean, other than comedy, you've already established that. But, uh, well, yeah. but that's that's so much of it because comedy, you know, it requires a lot. And it's like, it's not just stand-up. It's like I'm trying to, in, in order to make it in stand-up, it's like it's all about your networks, really. I mean, it, well, it's about your skill and talent and, and mm -hmm. writing and all that, mm -hmm. but it's also about your networking. Like, you know, it's about friendships and connections and making sure that I'm strengthening those instead of pouring all of my time and energy and resources into my love relationships. I need to be caring more and more about friendships and other connections. Yeah, but I can totally see why one is kind of easy <laughs> and the mm. others are not. So I can totally understand right. the thought process. A lot more social anxiety involved with the everyone else oh, stuff. Oof, social anxiety. Ugh. And, yeah, even just, like, how you stand at the bar and stuff, all that overthinking you have to do. Or maybe you're not that mm -hmm. bad. <laughs> I'm very overthinking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, speaking about socially awkward times at the bar, um, when did you start going to About Time 2? About Time 2, I had gone to, because, you know, growing up in Houston, I visited Austin a few times throughout the years, and I remember I went there before I moved to New York in like 2010, 2009, 2010. I must have gone to about time two right before that, like 2008 or something. Because I remember being struck because in Houston there was like one lesbian bar that I'd never gone to. In Dallas there's a lesbian bar that I like barely went to. And they were just bars. But Bout Time 2 had this volleyball court. <laughs> and I was like, what? And it was just like this cool place. And then there was a drag show that was happening there the first time I ever went. And it was a drag king show. And I had never seen a drag king show before. And I was just mesmerized and was like, whoa. <laughs> never, never heard this. And it just like was so into it and thought like, like there's some universe in which I do this. Um, so let's go a step back. So these are the lesbian bars that you'd never been to. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, or in Houston, it was just that I was always going with my friends who, like, uh, like my best friend in high school was a gay dude, and he always wanted to go to the gay dude clubs mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the dancing and everything. And you know, he was driving, and it was you know he just he didn't want to go to the lesbian bar. And I think we'd heard weird things about it too, or something. And maybe it was just like the people there were going to be older. I'm not really sure. 
but so we just never got around to it. And then in in Dallas, it was much the same way. The really popular clubs that were really fun were just all around gay. And then I think I'm, I'm sure I went once or twice, but I was always, always hanging out with gay dudes and they didn't really want to go to the lesbian bars. So I just didn't spend much time there. Oh, okay. So not internalized lesbophobia. No, no, no. I've always loved lesbians. It's a fun word to say, though. I just wanted to crowbar it Lesbophobia. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about this first time that you went there then. Like, what was going on in your life at that time? Let's see. I think that would have been... Uh, I had a girlfriend. Basically, for a year after I graduated college, I still lived in Dallas and had a girlfriend. And so she and I visited Austin a couple of times and so uh, I must have gone with her and maybe another friend who lived in Austin took us there and was like, oh, you got to see this place. So I wasn't single and I wasn't poly yet. And so I wasn't able to be like, oh, yay, look, let me look around and like flirt with all these people. It was just fun to see people there. and It was just fun to see the Drag King show. And, you know, this was before anybody was doing anything with gender. I mean, even in 2008, like, you know, I shouldn't say not before anyone was doing anything with gender, but, you know, gender neutral pronouns wouldn't even start to be a thing for another four years. Like everyone was just a lesbian still. (laughs) This was like a simpler time. And, you know, like it was revelatory for me that I'm like excited about women dressed up as men and the idea of maybe doing that myself and, you know, seeing people that way and seeing this kind of gender bending. Like that was the first time that I was really seeing gender bending like that from, you know, females dressing um, in that masculinized way. And Mm -hmm. so it like, you know, kind of taught me some things about myself and it was just fun. And I've always thought ever since then that it would be fun to do a drag king thing. Have you gotten as far as coming up with your drag king name? Ooh, no, that would be fun. Uh, I should. Surely there's an online generator we can. Let me just have a look. Drag (laughs) King online name generator. Are you okay with me creating one for you? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. The pressure. Which generation do you belong to? Oh, there's questions. I'm a millennial. Okay, next. What do you currently do in life? Comedian. Well, at the, here are the options, right? Oh, options, Good question. Okay. I am still trying to figure that out. Uh, I work in an office. I do not work in an office. I'm a full-time student or I am a traveler. Uh, ooh, go with traveler. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, God, there. What is your deepest desire? Is it inner and outer peace, a compassionate world, personal growth, finding true love, or understanding other people? Oof. Oh, that's that's tough. I I definitely act more like finding true love is my <laughs> is my biggest aim. Yeah, all evidence um, suggests that one. Yeah, mm. all evidence suggests I'm trying to re- reprioritize a little bit. To I thought it said a passionate world. I was like, yeah, passion. That's my, you know, like I want to feel passionately toward my career and whatnot. Uh, you know, I'm gonna go with inner and outer peace. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Okay, I've just realized something. I think it's giving me a drag queen name. <laughs> I'll take it. I, so I'm interested in doing drag queen stuff too. Because oh, it's like drag king is kind of interesting because it's like, you know, I already dress 
pretty masculinely. You know, sometimes on Halloween I've put a mustache on or whatever. But drag queen would be so interesting because it's like that would be that would be what's really different for me is to be in a femme situation. Yeah, and it feels like there are more tools to play with, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, are you ready to hear your name? Yep. Charlemagne Courtesan. I don't know if that's a boy or a girl. Charlemagne. Maybe it was just perfect for me. Yeah, yeah. Charlemagne's a dude, right? No, is it? Charlemagne Courtesan. Well, Charlemagne the, the like, general or what, was it a dude? Oh, I don't know who that is. Anyway, I feel like we've got to know each other a bit better now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Charlemagne was the Holy Roman Emperor from 768. Ah, yeah. Oh, I'm so getting like a history that. lesson as well. Yeah. So, okay, let's just go back a few steps. And I wanted to ask you something. You said that the first mm. time that you ever went to this venue, you went with your girlfriend. And mm. I want to find out a bit more about this. What happens when you are in a relationship and you go to a bar together? Are you both like, off you go, just have fun? Or do you kind of like cling on to each other throughout the night? Well, especially back then, it was like we were really together. Yeah, staying together, being clinging on to each other or whatever. I, like sometimes I would have the impulse to stray off and do my own thing, but she she would have wanted to stay by my side, um, be a little more jealous. And, but now I'm polyamorous, so nowadays like we might hang out together some, go do our own thing for a while, come back, you know. To like looser now. What do you prefer? Oh, I prefer to have some of both, right? You know, like come together, hang out, take the lay of the land, and then, you know, be like, oh, let's go uh, maybe go flirt with some other people, check in with each other later. Yeah, I really like it. It depends on the vibe, too. It's like, are we there to dance? We might just want to be like dancing with each other. Maybe someone will come up and start dancing with us and... <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm always always happy to uh, entertain the notion that we we might find a threesome type partner. So that's my ideal. If I'm in a relationship that I like, I'm gonna want to be spending time with her and dancing and whatever. But the hope is often that we would find someone that we're both attracted to. Have you ever so. done that on a dance floor? Yeah. Ah, oh, how? <laughs> I don't know. Like. You just start kind of you're dancing with each other, but then other people come up. And so, like, I turn to dance with someone else. She turns to dance with someone else. We kind of check back in with each other at some point. You're like, oh, you think she's cute, whatever. Maybe there's someone she's flirting with that I'm not that into, but it's like, yeah, yeah, y'all make out, whatever. It's cool. Or if we find someone that we're both, like, into, we might just be dancing on them and it's hot and... You know, it's 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 fun. It's like, okay, you two start making out and now she and I will make out and now me and my girlfriend will make out. So it's like you establish every combo happening so everyone feels good and included. And yeah, it's really hot when that happens. I think, see, this is the thing for me that I find threesomes or moresomes Mm -hmm. when you're part of a couple too stressful. Mm. because you're always trying to anticipate and think about what they're thinking? Uh, I don't know. Like, if the vibe is right, it, I've had threesome scenarios where it's just, like, everything just felt so good and open and wonderful. Like, it's just, if you could find someone who seems to be, like, equally attracted to both of you and you two are both kind of equally attracted to her, 
then like I don't know in my experience it just doesn't feel bad I'm not like worrying about too much about what's going on in anyone's head mm-hmm. it's just like hot the three of us are hot and we're all into each other like this is awesome <laughs> yeah well I think going back to the thing I said before I'm always like oh yeah well if you like this person then cool let's just go and then I'm the one that sat there like oh this is a bit boring <laughs> right. Yeah, it has to be very mutual. Everyone has to be kind of on the same page yeah. or else it does get weird. Yeah, it can get lopsided. If you're being people-pleasing about a threesome, that's a recipe for disaster. I'm just open to all possibilities, mm-hmm. but then I'm also not. Right. <laughs> part of you is open and there's another part of you screaming inside of you and being like, this isn't what I want. That's pretty much me every day, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that whole thing about couples in bars, I find really fascinating as well. The dynamic that can happen and one person can get pissy and just throw off the energy for everyone in the entire place. Oh, totally. Try to avoid that. Mm. But it is interesting, too, just the energy that happens, like... Because one time, me and the farmer, my most recent ex-wife, we were at a queer bar together and, you know, when we were not polyamorous. But but one day I was like, you know, it's hard for us to, like, make friends at this kind of place because we're in a couple and people just aren't going to come up to us or whatever. I was like, why don't we role play that we're not a couple? Why don't we role play that, like, we either just met or, or something and, like... Once we went into the role play, it was like 30 seconds later, our body language just changed and stuff. It was like 30 seconds later that we got approached by a couple of lesbians that we wound up um, making friends with. We wound up making great friends with this one woman who we had to like come out to her after the like next time we hang out. We had to be like, by the way, like I know you you met us as like like those people who like were just starting to date or were friends or something. I can't remember what our story was exactly, but I was like, actually, like we're together, we live together, you know. Um, so, but and it was fine. But it was amazing how just shifting our, you know, our mindsets and our body language immediately opened us up to being approached by other people. It wasn't just like, oh, now we're going to go approach other people. It was like literally like now we're being approached because we don't seem like a closed off couple. And did that lead to a whole world of role play for the two of you? Um, I was always trying to get her to role play because I really like role play, not just for meeting other people reasons, but for like sexual, you know, reasons. Like I like a storyline. So I like it to be like, oh, we're both straight and, you know, on a business trip and we got put in a hotel together and, you know, and then we're going to discover that we have feelings for each other or whatever, you know, you, stuff like that. Uh, like I like. So t- okay. Yeah. Tell me more about this. How elaborate do they get for you? Um, I don't know how elaborate that to call that. You know, I remember one time I got another girlfriend to do a scenario where I was like married to a man, but getting a divorce. I think he was cheating on me or something like that. And she, my girlfriend played like our babysitter Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, the scenario is I've just come home. The kids are asleep or they've gone with their dad or something and you're still here. And I'm going to ask you if you want to stick around and have a glass of wine with me. And so we got into it and it was just like, 
I just started immediately complaining about my husband and I'm like, I can't believe, you know, that he's doing this and blah, blah, blah. We start talking and, you know, and then before long, she's like seducing me and it was so hot. But yeah, so it's like that kind of thing, just like some kind of storyline outline of, of what our dynamic is. In that scenario, I was like straight in my mind, but maybe now that I was getting divorced, I was a little bit like thinking about it, but she was gay or bi or something. And, and so <laughs> she was already in this headspace of like, oh, she's hot. Um, yeah. So you just kind of have a little backstory for each person, a little scenario, and then you, it's just improv. But like, do you ever, have you ever done it with someone who's really terrible at improv? And then you're just like, ugh. Honestly, like I've done it with a few people and like some of them have been quite resistant to it for various reasons. But when they've done it, they've been good at it. Mm. I think people are surprisingly good at it. They just you just have to have a little faith in yourself. You just kind of go there. We all have a method actor within us, (laughs) I think, because everyone's been pretty good at it. It's just um, it's just a matter of like kind of going for it you have to kind of commit yeah but then at what point are you like okay let's stop this now who gets to decide like anyone can call a timeout there's always like this kind of like (laughs) timeout thing and sometimes you know we'll do that a number of times throughout the night and then be like you know point of order um what about this or hey can you comfort me about this or what you know whatever and then time in and then usually what'll happen is that it'll lead to really hot sex and then after that like sex session is over when we're like lying in bed postcoitally then we're like okay time out <laughs> we're done <laughs> now we can just be ourselves so and then coming up with the scenarios mm-hmm. are they things that are just like burning inside you that you've been wanting to do forever or is it just like a random Uh, It's usually been pretty random. I mean, I think I have like kind of an idea of the kind of things I like. It's like some kind of scenario where there's some amount of like either wrongness to it Mm -hmm. or like is she isn't she to it. So like if one or two of us doesn't identify as gay yet or we're in some kind of dynamic where it would be inappropriate for us to have a sexual relationship and, and like with a girlfriend where we were doing the babysitter scenario, I kind of asked her some questions of like, well, what what would you feel comfortable? Like, what age do you want to be? What would be hot to you? You know, I just I'll ask a couple of questions and then I just kind of come up with a scenario that isn't like too far outside of our reality. You know, something that kind of makes sense, you know. So you've never been an alien invader. No, I've never done anything like too out there to science fiction or whatever but i yeah i would i would probably get into that (laughs) if if someone wanted to go there with me oh you're just putting it out there then so if anyone's interested uh get in touch Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) anyway let's go back to the bar i want to continue this conversation about mindset and body language and things because i think that's fascinating even when you're on your own if Mm -hmm. you change your body language people are more I think the thing I find most interesting about it is that it's like sometimes it's really easy to slip into that and sometimes you're just like, I know I need to do this, but I can't. Yeah. No, it is interesting. I was by myself at a restaurant a couple weeks ago 
just just because I wanted to eat. I was having like I'm trying to do these artist dates where I go by myself and do something once a week. And so I really just I didn't have any intention of like being social. And so I was just there to eat and enjoy myself. But I remember being so struck by like how weird it now feels to be by myself. It, I don't do that as much anymore. Mm-hmm. I used to. But now it's this weird thing where you have to kind of like pick, like, do you want to just close yourself off so that, you know, you're really facing forward and focusing on your own food and and really pulling out your phone? That's the big thing now, because mm. I feel like I decided not to pull out my phone for that whole dinner. Or maybe I pulled it out to take a picture of my tahini ice cream at one point. But <laughs> but for most of the dinner, I didn't have my phone out. And I remember being struck by like how now because of phones, I feel like it feels so awkward to not be on your phone. Mm-hmm. It used to be that you could, you know, then choose your body language. Do you want to cheat out and kind of make yourself – because I'm sitting at a bar, you know, at the bar at the restaurant. Do I want to kind of – be open to other people or whatever, but it felt so weird to not be on my phone. It felt kind of crazy. I felt like I looked like a crazy person to just be kind of like looking around the bar, kind of people watching, kind of being with my own thoughts. It just felt like socially unacceptable to not be just reading a book on my phone or scrolling through Hinge on my phone or whatever I should be doing mm. while I'm by myself. I feel like there's a weird shift that happened where when I moved to New York when I was 23, uh, I used to go by myself to a lot of stuff. But this was when phones were barely being smart. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was before iPhones took over. It was like I think I, I remember having some non – you know, something that maybe had GPS a little bit or maybe had email a little bit but not mm-hmm. – you know, full. So this it was still in that kind of time. And so I think it was more acceptable to be alone and just be open and available and looking around or doing your own thing. And people would approach you and say, oh, you're by yourself. I'm by myself. Can I join you? And I think now it felt like I was being weird not to be on my phone. And and is that solely because of the social pressure you felt from people around you or because mm-hmm. of your learned behavior of being on the phone? No, I felt like people were looking at me a little weird. Uh. I don't know if I'm just making that up, but I felt like, you know, maybe some of it was in my head because I'm just just sitting there and I didn't, you know, wondering if people were thinking I was being weird. But I felt like if I would kind of glance around the room, if someone would, you know, kind of look up and see me, it just it felt like it was just I I don't know. It felt like it was awkward that I would be there looking around, looking at you know, it's like I'm not staring at anyone. Yeah, I'm yeah. just kind of <laughs> just kind of taking it in. And it felt like people are just like, What are you doing here alone? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like <laughs> what are you doing here not just being on your phone, not just, you know, whatever. And maybe maybe I'm projecting, but that's how it felt to me was now that we have phones, everyone just kind of expects you to be on them if you're alone. Mm. I keep hearing like people talking about that there's going to be this big rejection and backlash against phones and people are going to just stop using mm. them. I just can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about all that. I think once uh, virtual reality becomes much more kind of comprehensive, like a place that people can really spend a lot of time once there's like virtual reality sex and everything, I think there's definitely going to be a shift where a lot of people are just spending a lot of time in virtual reality. So it could be that when that happens, there is more of rejection on the rest of those of us who don't want to be in virtual reality mm. that much might kind of push away technology more. But I think the phone, it's just, it's so convenient to be able to 
have access to not only your email and social yeah, media, yeah. whatever, but just to read a book on your phone or whatever. Like I read on my phone a lot and I kind of wish, you know, I would, I would always have a book with me, but it's not always convenient to have a little book with you. Especially if you finish that book halfway through your journey. Ugh, annoying. Yeah. <laughs> There's that, and it's just like it's another thing to carry, or I'm getting the next book from the library app. It's just convenient, and it's very hard to imagine that we're going to have some kind of revolution where mm-hmm. we all change that. I mean, there could be some new technology that comes along that changes everything, but I don't think we're going back. I need to be brave and one day do like a digital detox and have 30 days off, but can't imagine yeah. I'm ever going to be that brave. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a one day a week thing. A lot of people do oh, that. Yeah, maybe I should do that. Like a Sunday, have the day the, off. The phone Sabbath. Mm. You don't need to check your emails necessarily. You don't. Nothing's going on. Like Sundays, we're Saturdays too really, but Sundays especially are, are a really good day where a lot of people are kind of like not on their phone much anyway. So something we could all do, introduce a real Sabbath into our lives. But what if I'm, like, wondering who played the main character in Different Strokes in 1984? Go to your computer. But that's, like, still the same thing. I'll still be, like, drawn into the world of all the amazing things that are on the internet that are preventing me from facing my own reality. Yeah, I mean, you could. it's definitely less, though. If you just get on your computer, like... And you could do it where you clear all your tabs away on Saturday. I know, I know, I say that, but I've got 98 tabs up. (laughs) Um, But you could do that, or you could have a special Sunday tab or something. Um, You know, there are things that you could do to mitigate that, or you could just write down your question on a little piece of paper and then look it up the next day. Paper. Um, So you've only been to about time to... A small handful of times. Right. What then made you choose it as the place to talk about today? Well, it's the place that I know that I'm just like really sad. I'm sad that I didn't go more. Um, it was such a cool place. You know, I just being struck by it when I was younger and then had really been like, oh, I like this place and I should come here more. I had moved. I was now living nearer to it. And so it was something I, I had started going to a little bit and, you know, was excited to have near me and wanted to be going to more. Like that was the plan. I realized that they had some good dancing nights and stuff. And so the plan was to be going there more. So it just made me really sad when that was one of the victims of the pandemic. And meanwhile, we had this lesbian bar project going on Mm -hmm. in the States where, you know, it turned out there were only 15 lesbian bars left. And now it's gotten up to like 21 or 22 or something. I think thanks to the lesbian bar project, more places decided to either open or identify as lesbian owned. Um, It's just hard, you know, even places that call themselves lesbian bars, it's like, so maybe a lesbian owns it. Maybe there's a lesbian night once a week or once a month or something um, because it's like hard to sustain Mm. that much because lesbians, you know, famously don't go out as much. We get into a relationship and stop going out or whatever. Yeah, this is just a place that it was really cool and everybody there was really friendly. It wasn't like the kind of hip part of Austin. It was in it was in the north in this place where people were just like more down to earth there. It just had like this really chill vibe to it. It wasn't, you know, 
there's a place in Austin called Cheer Up Charlie's that used to be more of a lesbian bar, but really then just kind of it became a queer bar. And then really since it's just become kind of a cool hip bar that's sometimes queer, but, you know, most nights it's just kind of hipster kind of t- people who are there, um, if that's even the right word anymore. But it just kind of lost that, whereas About Time 2 still had this really nice lesbian feel to it and you know just you go there and you see a nice you know older lesbians with their cargo shorts and their faux hawks and it's it just very it's just very pleasing and comforting that had this like yeah old school feel to it r.i.p <laughs> um so usually when i end an interview i ask someone i ask someone i ask the person that i'm talking to to reflect back on who they were at the time that they first went to the bar. But it seems like there's kind of two spots that I want you to reflect on today. So that very first time that you went to the bar in 2009 and then the last time that you went there in January of 2020 before the world shuttered up. And if mm. you had the opportunity to go back in time and give one piece of advice to both of those aerials, what would you say? Ooh, I think into the 2008, 2009, whenever that was, Ariel, I would say, hey, you know, this drag king thing that's so exciting. Why don't you just do that? (laughs) Why don't you just go ahead and like be a drag king, explore that, like get into that. I think it would have been really fun to get into like dancing and performing that way. I wish I had done that. Um, I mean, I know I still could, but (laughs) it's just... Uh, things get weirder and 2020 yeah I I mean just knowing you know like the pandemic was about to happen and now I would say like start your new podcast uh, (laughs) as soon as possible and really try to take advantage of everyone being uh, online and you know, take it easy, but also realize that this is a time that you could really capitalize on people's attention. And any advice to the relationship hopping Ariel? Yeah, the advice there would be, you know, you need to be single and like that that's an important step of the journey. You've heard people say that, that you got to learn to love yourself in this way. And you need to not just keep convincing yourself that it'll be fine and that you're too excited about this new person to do it. Like you could be solo poly and that's fine, but you need to be solo. You need to learn to rely on yourself and be clear with yourself and really pursue that and like actually be a solo person for a significant period of time before getting into another relationship like that. Do you think she'd listen? Uh, I didn't listen to anybody else, but I don't know. You know, if, if I came back from the future or whatever, hopefully yeah. I would listen to myself. Yeah. That'd kind of blow your mind, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah. Do you have any memories of Bout Time 2 or clubbing from your own queer scene that you want to share? Well, if you do, why don't you get in touch? I would love to hear from you. I want to create the biggest online record of people's memories and stories of queer clubbing, but I need your help. Go to lostspacespodcast.com and find the section Share a Lost Space and tell me all about what it is you got up to. 
You can also reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if that's more your thing. My handle is Lost Spaces Pod across all three. Find out more about Ariel by following her on Twitter, where her profile is Demi Binarial, and Instagram, where her profile is Ellen DeGenderless, or why don't you give her podcast, Gender Fluids, a little listen wherever you find podcasts, maybe on this platform you're using right now. Huh, who knows? If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate if you subscribed, left a review on your podcast platform, or just told other people who you think might be interested in giving it a little listen too. My name is Kay Anderson, and you have been listening to Lost Spaces. Lost Spaces.